This episode of the RPG Academy is sponsored by City of Brass, a web app that manages the mechanics while you focus on what matters, playing the game. Visit cityofbrass.io today. Hello and welcome to Show and Tell, the podcast series from the RPG Academy where we bring on a guest and we talk about something cool. Today's something cool is The Legend of the Five Rings, RPG and card game. And as our guest, we have Sean Carmen himself, who is the head writer or has been the head writer for these properties for some time. He was uh, the lead writer on the fourth edition of the Legend of the Five Rings RPG. He also has recently kickstarted a new IP called Thunderscape. Thunderscape was originally created by Shane Hensley, who you probably know as the creator of Savage Worlds, I think maybe in the 80s. And it's something that Sean has been in love with ever since. And he recently bought the rights for the setting from Shane and launched a Kickstarter. And they are coming out with a setting book for both Pathfinder and Savage Worlds. Uh, So for tonight's episode, we discuss a lot about the Legend of the Five Rings, but we also touch on his newest venture into Thunderscape. Now, I have said on the podcast before that the secret to my success as a manager, be that as it may, is that I have surrounded myself with people who are smarter than I am and who are better at their jobs than I am, and then I let them do their jobs. So that's kind of what I did today for this episode, as I have, as my small circle of uh, gaming buddies now, GM Jim McClure, who you probably know as the DM of the Legend of the Five Rings game that we played with One Shot Podcast recently. It is safe to say that Jim is all but obsessed with Legend of the Five Rings, as well as Mr. Carmen himself. And when we were setting up this interview, it would have been unforgivable of me if I did not include Jim in that. And then, because of a very silly, strange set of circumstances, only one of us was able to do the interview. So I took a side seat to Jim and let Jim take over and run the interview with uh, Sean Carmen. So anyways, here you go. Here is Show and Tell, episode number 10, Interview with Sean Carmen. Hi, welcome to the RPG Academy. Uh, my name is Jim McClure, and uh, some of you may recognize my voice, but you'll notice the, the absence of one Michael. Uh, I've taken over the show for this Show and Tell episode 10 because we are interviewing someone that is of, well, real particular interest to me. Uh, I don't know if, if some of you all realize, but I'm a fan of Legend of the Five Rings. And today on Show and Tell, we have Sean Carmen, who has been the head writer of Legend of Five Rings. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. <laughs> Sean, in, in my book, as I've been known to call you, you are the, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, you know, I, I have had so much enjoyment. L5R is my favorite system of all time. And, of course, you are you, you are essentially the what I would call the, the architect of L5R as we know it in its current era. So, uh, well, let's for, for those who don't know you and, and don't follow you like I do, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been involved with the project, what you've done in tabletop and, and the whole rundown. All right. I, uh, I got started in the tabletop industry um, in the late 90s because I was desperate to work on uh, the Star Wars role-playing game for um, West End Games. Uh, that was my burning goal in life, and so I started looking for anything. They, didn't, they only accepted uh, published writers. 
So I was I looked everywhere trying to find something that would uh, would let me get in through the back door. And uh, eventually get, getting published became kind of its own goal. And I got really caught up into the first edition of the Legend of the Five Rings role playing game uh, and just really, really got into that and uh, began constantly barraging the poor people who were writing it at that time with uh, <laughs> emails, harassing them to let me uh, work on it. And, uh, and that didn't really, I don't know, they, you know, they had other things going on. They were kind of busy. And then I joined the demo team and started working for them at like origins and Gen Con. And as I like to say, I, I basically just schmoozed my way in, uh, kind of cheated. Uh, so all that got me in about 98 or 99. I started working as a freelance writer on their role-playing game. Um, in 2001, I got added to the story team, which determines the, the story of the, the, the meta plot of the line in the collectible card game. Uh, in 2005, my predecessor, good friend Rich Wolf, stepped aside as the lead writer and they moved me up. And I've, I don't know, I've, I just, they forgot to fire me later, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I've been there ever since. Um, during that time, I've, I mean, I've done all kinds of things. For a while, I was the, RPG producer. I was the one in charge of making sure everything happened with uh, L5R RPG, which is, you know, a huge, huge passion of mine. But, uh, you know, I was the lead designer for the for the fourth edition of the RPG, which uh, I get still one of the things I'm most proud of in the tabletop. Eventually, there was just too much going on, and I, I, I couldn't do both anymore, so they, they uh, you know, they, they moved the RPG duties elsewhere uh, very wisely to Rob Hobart, who's doing a fantastic job. And then since then, I've just been writing on the main, uh, the card game and whatnot. Um, I've uh, published for other companies, West End Games, Green Ronin, uh, Fantasy Flight Games. Finally got to work on a Star Wars game. I was pretty happy. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, uh, in, in 2013, my buddies and I fulfilled a decades-long goal of ours. We created our own company and published or launched a Kickstarter to publish Thunderscape, the world of Aiden, which is uh, currently for uh, Pathfinder and uh, about to be for Savage Worlds. So. Okay, wonderful. And, and we are we are going to get heavy into Thunderscape because I actually have a bunch of questions for you because Thunderscape has got me a little bit excited. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie, and maybe just because of, of the legacy that comes down with it. Uh, but yeah, we, we're definitely going to get to Thunderscape. Now, i got to ask you, uh, and actually, I, I guess I should say, I would be remiss if we didn't give a little bit of basic introduction of, of what Legend of Five Rings is, because it, in my world, I assume everyone already knows what Legend of Five Rings, and I'm sure everyone does, but of course, it is a essentially a mythical version of feudal Japan, although it does have many influences from, from many of the aging cultures, uh, and it's a system that came out when did l5r begin sean first edition was released in the summer of 1997 i think okay and it was actually a card game before that too wasn't it right yeah this is the 20th anniversary this year at gen con we're having our 20th anniversary celebration so i guess 1995 1995, and, and that is just, I, I'm absolutely amazing. So again, for, for those who don't know, it, it is both uh, a CCG, a card game, uh, and a tabletop game that have sort of uh, came up through the world together. Now, you, you said you were a big fan of First Edition. Now, of course, First Edition way predates my interest. I mean, I, I see, and, and again, I've got to give you all the credit in the world, because to me, Fourth Edition is L5R. I mean, it, it's such a, a, a streamlined version. It has, I mean, I love Fourth Edition, which is the current edition, so much. To me, that's L5R. But you, of course, started very, very early in it. How did you find, how did you discover, what, what originally you know, drew you into L5R before, you know, you were the L5R guy. 
I was fascinated by the just how visceral and dynamic the the cover of the first edition book was. You know, you've got this samurai with his emerald armor just falling off him in the middle of battle, standing atop this huge mound of people trying to kill him, just ruthlessly, you know, fighting off everybody and coming his way. And I just thought it just was such a striking image that I, I picked it up and leaped through it. Um, and it was so different than anything I'd ever seen. And, and the, the, the art was so evocative and, uh, I just, I was really interested and I, I, all that summer I'd look at it whenever I was in the store. And then on, uh, and when we went to Gen Con, I went and picked up a copy at the AEG booth. Uh, and that was actually during the finals for the day of thunder, the first big storyline that was going, had been going on for two years in the card game. And I wondered what all the noise was about when I was in the booth. I wasn't really sure what was going on. But, uh, you know, as it turns out, I was I was actually technically there for something very important. I just had no idea what it was at the time. I, I was about to say, you, you were literally there for the original Day of Thunder as it essentially played out in real life? I, I walked through it, yes. That's, that's <laughs> that is that is so amazing. And again, for the, those who don't aren't deep in the L5R lore, you won't know what that means. And I, I promise that that would come later. But uh, yes, the uh, that that is amazing to me. Um, now, like like we said, there is a a card game, of course, as well as the RPG. Now, did you get in the card game before you were you know officially part of the brand and working in it, uh, or did that come later on? Mostly later, I knew that it was based on a card game. I, after I got interested in the RPG that first summer, I looked up and uh, and read some articles about the card game, and I thought it was really very interesting. And then in subsequent years, there was a there was a product called the Game Master Survival Guide during first edition, written by uh, Jim Pinto, and it had this possible like ways you could generate an RPG character just by buying a booster pack. And uh, and opening it up and seeing what cards were in it, and how you could use that to construct your character, and I thought that was amazing. So I picked up some, uh, you know, I picked up some of the cards and I opened it and made a few characters. And I thought this is the best thing that's ever happened ever. <laughs> so I uh, I got my I bought picked up some packs uh, for some of the guys who were in my playgroup uh, and brought it to them, and they were. Um, remarkably less enthused than I was, which hurt my feelings terribly. But I, you know, that, that, that you were you were with the wrong people. Then, yeah, clearly, I don't. I, you know, I don't want to make my stuff at random. I want to figure out what I want to do. Like <laughs> you got stuff. No, no, that's awesome. Now that that article that you read for that was that specifically for L five R? Was that like just general? You know, you you can do this with with magic cards or whatever. Was that a specific L five R? No, no, it was. Uh, an article about L five R. I want to say maybe it was an inquest. I'm not entirely. I can't remember honestly, to be perfectly frank. But I think I think it was an inquest. I, it's been so long, I forget. But uh, but yeah, it was just about L5R and how the you know the different clans. It gave me some background on the clans and about uh, you know what um, what the mechanics were like and the the meta plot and everything. And I just found the whole thing endlessly fascinating. Well, I, I, I'm going to tell tell my brief story because it, it sort of relates to it of, of how I got involved with L5R and what, what started now a heck of a passion. But it, it must have been, it, it was probably somewhere in like the, the 97, 98 year. Uh, so, of course, L5R is relatively new. The, the RPG just came out. And I can't remember which gaming magazine, but it was one of them that we would get in the mail. And it was a video gaming magazine, I'm pretty sure. But it came with a booster pack of L5R cards in it. And I was so excited because I was just getting into cards at that point. It was it was the big Pokemon era, and I was young enough, of course, to uh, to get into that. And I thought combat card game is the greatest thing ever. Like this is amazing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a random pack was delivered to me, 
And I had one of those growing up moments because I opened the cards and they actually scared me. Because I looked at them and it was, uh, you know, all of these serious imagery and there's a little bit of blood and fighting and swords and cutting. And, you know, I, again, at this point, I'm a, whatever, a 10-year-old kid and I'm playing Pokemon with, with, with Pikachu and Jigglypuff and Snorlax. And I'm like, what is going on? The world is bigger than what my little childhood mind knows. And and me and my brother, and, and of course, uh, Sean, I'm sure obviously you're familiar with how you play the game and how difficult it is to actually try and comprehend the rules with 10 cards and play a game. Uh, it's, matter of fact, completely impossible to do that. But me and my brother must have spent, no joke, 30 or 40 hours playing these 10 cards to death. And we had our own strategies based on which cards where we would randomly deal out to each other. We shuffled them to the point all the corners were bent. If I could find those original 10 cards, I would I would just have a, a nostalgic breakdown. But But... But that's how I was, and and honestly, I didn't really actually get into L5R at that point. It was just sort of a passing thing, and and we progressed on, and then I got into tabletop, and I moved to Ohio, and at some random point, I was walking through one of the big flea markets, and there was, for, for 10 bucks a uh, a pack of 12 structured decks from one of the old series, and I was like, I remember playing these to death, and I bought it. And then I did a little Googling, and my jaw dropped, because a year prior to this, I had gotten into D&D, and I went... Oh my goodness, they have a tabletop game. Not only oh my goodness, three months ago they just released the new core rulebook called 4th Edition. And I picked that up and have been in love, I mean, ever since. So it, it started with a wonderful card game and then got into uh, 4th Edition, which has been, uh, I mean, w- with no joke, my, my personal favorite tabletop experience. I, I love it so, so much. It's so phenomenal. But enough of me gushing over L5R. You're the important one, and here's what I want to talk to you about. There is an interesting factor that goes into determining story in L5R that is pretty unique to just it, where the, the, it influences both the card game and the RPG, and that is the players get to determine, or I should say help determine, the meta plot of the game. Tell us a little bit about that, how that works, and, and how it plays into the, the overarching story of L5R. You know, you 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 know, if you're invested in a game and you're excited about it and you care about it, which, you know, you should if if we've done our job correctly then you want to be you don't just want to read a story you can you can read a book or you can watch a movie but you know this is something else altogether so we structure the storyline so that it, it really hinges on these deciding moments that are determined by votes or victories at a convention or at a tournament i should say and so the idea is that you have this you know a huge pin you know a pivotal battle uh, this has been no struggle going on or, or you know, which which clan emerge, emerges victorious or, uh, you know, which hero manages to save the empire from this threat or that threat. Um, and, you know, we try to make it as as nuanced as possible. We're moving into the 20th year. We're trying to really up our game in terms of uh, allowing this this um, degree of interaction with the fans so that they can have more control over over what happens because you know these are people that have been playing around for a long time and they really want to you know they deserve the opportunity to really have a lot of of momentum so it's i i can safely say that the vast majority of major events that have happened in the history of the game world have been uh, a result of some player somewhere making a choice you know i want to do a or i want to do b or uh, you know, sometimes it's just uh, pick one of this number and decide what it's going to be, or sometimes it's 
Uh, you know, sometimes it's more robust than that. It just depends uh, on on what's going on at the time and what we're trying to do. But it's very much uh, an opportunity for the fans to be part of the storytelling. Having existed in both worlds, it's very similar to what a good GM tries to do with his players, right? You always try to make sure the players are the ones kind of driving your story or making the important decisions. Otherwise, they'll just scream that you're a railroader and throw a mountain do at your head or whatever. But uh, uh, so, you know, we, we really that's what we're trying to do is to is to be the, the shepherds of the fans telling the story. Uh, you know, with depending on who you ask, varying degrees of success over the years. But, uh, you know, 20 years, we, we've done something, I think, at least partially correct. So I'm, I'm not going to complain. Well, and, and and I agree with just so much of that, because there, there is the uh, L5R, you know, well, obviously it doesn't have a, you know, a fan base the size of, of Dungeons and Dragons or, or, or Pathfinder, or the heavy hitters on the block, the passion that the fan base has for L5R. And of course, you know, I'm not the most out, outspoken, passionate fan of L5R, but other people, you know, other people, you know, that they, you have such a, a massive following that is so you know interested in everything that's going on and I think a big part of that I, I know specifically for, for me is the fact that I have the ability to influence story you know I, I, to give an example for fourth edition one of the things you guys did is you did the unexpected allies book and and well, tell us about that and how that came to be that the unexpected allies book I think came out last year right there was an unexpected allies book for I think first edition or maybe second it's been a long time. Um, and there were a small number of people who worked on it. Uh, you know, that's where I think my, my buddy Rich that, I, that I've worked with for so many years on L5R and now works with me on Thunderscape. I'm pretty sure that's where he was first published was in Unexpected Allies. And so, you know, we had over the years, there's been a lot of debate amongst the fans about, you know, whether how to how to allow the, the RPG fans the same kind of and, and affect the storyline of Rokugan. Um, and, you know, some people want it and crave it and are angry that the CCG crowds uh, get to make all these decisions and they don't get to participate. Or, and then others are like, I don't I don't want to do that because I want everything. You know, it's my campaign. I don't want to have to worry about my campaign being non-canon or whatever you want to call it uh, by something that happens based on other people's campaigns. Right. Which I complain, you know, as a GM, I completely understand that, of course. But uh, so, you know, we try to find alternate ways for the RPG fans to be able to contribute and add to the, the tapestry that is Rokugan. And so Unexpected Allies was just a way for us to uh, to come up with that. You know, it's like, well, why don't you know, instead of picking all these NPCs that everybody sees in the plot line, why don't we take NPCs from all of the, the plot lines going on at people's tables around the around the world playing the game and have them contribute them? And so it just kind of snowballed from there and it took forever because we had a you know there was a there was an addition shift and then the you know the company kind of uh, reorganized during the wait and there was just this huge uh, you know i lost uh i was there for almost a year i was down to my story team consisted of uh you know me and fred and one other guy or in spooky and so it was just you know very difficult to get a lot of forward momentum on it but you know thankfully uh rob hopeward is uh more organized than i am and helped uh, help make sure we got that moving out so you know, there's a lot of really cool PCs from people you may have met at cons are, are in that book, so I'm I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. And, and I love that because because again, if, if I am if I'm a Dungeons and Dragons fan and I love the Eberron setting, uh, 
I, as a player sitting here at the table, I have no way of influencing the Eberron setting. If I love L5R and I love Rokugan, I can go to events, I can influence setting, I, I can do very good. I can, again, the unexpected allies, I mean, just blew me away that literally it was going to open up. Hey, all of you around listening to us, submit your NPCs to us. We're going to make a book of your NPCs and publish it as official canon. I can't get that and I can't experience that. I can't have that level of interactivity with any other tabletop that I know of. I mean, maybe some of the smaller indie ones, but but the, the, the size and the breadth of what L5R, it, it has always blown me away. Uh, to that end, though, uh, you know, where you're giving a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of creative control, but you are giving creative control to your, your audience. You're giving creative control to the outcome, and you as the, you know, the, the head writer of the story team for so long, it, what's it like writing for you know something like L5R where you, you don't necessarily have a hundred percent of the control, or perhaps you're you're influencing in a way to you know give give your players and audience more control? What's it like to write for L5R and write an ever evolving story that you know is not just the writing team but has other people's you know hands in it? I, honestly, most of the time it's pretty rewarding. I mean, I really, you know, it, it's challenging. I'm not going to say that we constantly, you know, if a month or six weeks goes by without the team getting together by email, we're like, oh God, what are we going to do with this? Uh, you know, but I, I'm, I'm kind of, on the one hand, I'm kind of used to that, right? I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, it, it, it's not boring, right? It's never, it's never a boring job. You don't get really complacent. You know, it's always something new and, and different going on. And I like that about it. I, uh, you know, I think that it is strange and it can be stressful, but, uh, for the most part, I, I like it a lot. It's you, you have to construct your opportunities for in, uh, and we make more work for ourselves on a frighteningly regular basis, but you have to construct your opportunities <laughs> for people to impact the story with some idea of what, could be the outcome, right? Like we have to structure quick. If it's a Gen Con story or a European championship story or something really big, we have to be prepared. We have to go down the list and say, okay, now, you know, what's the worst What's the worst case scenario? How bad could it get if somebody picks something completely crazy? And we have to make sure we're prepared for that. Or, you know, it just, it's all about, I don't know. It's just, it's really a learned skill. It's just something you've learned to do over time. And, I added up how long I've been doing it the other day, and I probably shouldn't have done that. It was sort of, you know, <laughs> I got uh, I got a little freaked out by how long I've been in the driver's seat. It makes me paranoid. But uh, you know, once you've once you've done it, it just becomes kind of you know you 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 understand the ebb and the flow of the whole thing, and you know how to do it. So it's always challenging, always interesting, occasionally stressful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I gotta ask have there have there been any situations where where maybe you personally or the writing team wanted the story to go one direction but the fans made it go a different direction? Yes, many times. I and you know you know I'm going to pressure you for a specific example. I'm right? happy to provide because I know the guy who was responsible and he's not. It's, uh, there's a there's a guy named Gosh. What I, no, I said that, but then I realized I was thinking of the wrong person. Uh, there's a guy named who was on the up until recently was one of the designers. His name's Andrew Ornatov, right? One of, if not the best player uh, in 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 the world, and he's got everybody in his house uh, who lives with him uh, at you know Villa Ornatov. Uh, plays the game and are you know because they they're you know they're all ridiculously good. The number of people who've won major tournaments that lived in that house is just nauseating. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, and and so someone I cannot remember the guy's name. Somebody from his group 
one Gen Con one year when we had, it was in the middle of the Destroyer War, right? For the first time ever, Rokugan is being invaded by a, a, a force from without. Uh, and there, you know, the, the demon goddess who's uh, killed her whole pantheon and now is trying to kill everybody else uh, is there doing her thing. And she's got the, the god beast, this, this horrible, basically, you know, weapon of mass destruction that she made out of a god she killed. Uh, and so, you know, we're, it's, it's stomping the scorpion provinces. There's armies from all the clans are down there fighting. And it was all about tournament was all about who was going to be victorious and who was going to win the day. And the guy uh, won the tournament. He picked a goblin. Right. And it was just, I was like, really, really <laughs> going to be that fast. That's going to have, that's how it is. All right, fine. So, you know, but it ended up, it ended up being pretty cool. Uh, the goblin character came back later, horribly mutated by the experience, had a really awesome card with amazing art. We have a really great art director. Uh, you know, it was just uh, everything that you think is terrible at first. Frequently, it works out pretty well. So I honestly, I have nothing to complain about. And, and, and that, that's such a good story. I, I love the the destroyer the destroyer war arc. Actually, the uh, the game that I play with with Michael here of the RPG Academy and Caleb and and James D'Amato of One Shot. Um, it, one of my favorite eras. I don't know why I'm obsessed with it. It's the era directly after the destroyer war. You know, it just it's like Rokugan is so broken. All of a sudden, the spider are there, and it, it's such an odd state of flux and rebuild. It, it's actually one of my favorite eras to play, and even though it's kind of like a between era thing that I, I'm a real big fan of, but lo- love the Destroyer War. Uh, who, who was the goblin that, that saved the day? Who was that NPC? I have to ask. Uh, Gaku, I think. Uh, I th- okay. Yeah, but he has, uh, if you, like, he, you know, uh, he, <laughs> I don't even want to say it, because it might, if you're, if you're, uh, if your readers are not familiar with it, it's going to sound horrific described in shorthand and, and really kind of disc- up. Uh, with with like, that kind of know, prefix, yeah, you got to go ahead with that. He uh, he gets he's fighting and he wants to impress his masters and so he's climbing up the thing because he's this little you know spider monkey goblin and uh, gets eaten uh, and freaks out completely panics because that's what goblins do and freaks out and and uh, with his sword he slowly hacks his way through the roof of the mouth into the things uh, end up into the thing squash right and so he's you know he's in the brain and he gets you know brain juice in his mouth or whatever and so he comes back later you know huge he's bigger than an ogre and he's got two more vestigial arms growing out kind of in the same uh image of the uh, the six-armed goddess it was leading the army and uh it's just uh it's it's it was colossally we take you know something that was just the complete weirdest possible outcome that somehow we turned into the skid and made it even weirder and then it was just this whole big thing i don't know <laughs> and and all all because of of, of gi- giving the you know the, the players agency in your story. I would never have thought to have a goblin chowing through a demon goddess's uh, WMD's brain uh, without uh, somebody you know forcing me into the corner. So uh, you know, it's just just how well, it works, I guess. Well, speaking of that, you know, obviously you you are a professional writer and you do a lot more than than just L five R. What is it like in general as a writer for a tabletop game? Um, or, you know, because obviously you are very involved with writing the fourth edition of L5R. So between writing a, a tabletop game and, you know, regular, what I would call narrative writing, you know, not novel writing or, or story writing as you do for a lot of the L5R stories, when you're writing for a tabletop where you're trying to inspire others to have enjoyment and have fun, is there a difference to you? Is there a certain technique that you bring to that? Well, I, uh, my technique is not that much different. I mean, it's you, you kind of have a different goal in mind. When you're writing for the RPG, what you're trying to do is 
create opportunities for somebody who's reading it to uh, think, oh, I, I've got an idea. I'm going to do this. Right. You're you're basically you're trying to facilitate uh, whatever whatever creative process they have, because, you know, a, a GM, I, in my opinion, in my experience, I should say the best GMs are the guys who, who, who you know, take something and just run with it. Right. You know, they maybe they've got a module, but they tweak it because it suits their characters or or, you know, they just they're reading the textbook and get an idea and, and, and go with that. So in, in my experience, that's the best way to do it is to just try and give them the tools they need to build their own awesomeness. Uh, whereas when you're writing the fiction or the story, what you're trying to do is make everyone who participated in it, you know, oh, I was part of this event, so we voted on this. Or, I, you know, my clan did an IA poll and we did this. And you, you want to take what they've done and try and make them think, oh, that was, you know, we made the right choice. That was amazing. You know, we did this, we did that. You want to foster in them an appreciation of, of, of what they've accomplished and, and make them feel like they really are contributing to what you're doing. I mean, it's fairly different. I guess I don't think about it too much. I've done both different things for so long that it's not really something I think about consciously when I'm writing. I guess I just shift gears without, without dwelling on it, which is kind of weird, I guess. <laughs> well, because I've always found it, it, it odd and, and and different to me when when I'm writing. Now, of course, most of the time I'm not, you know, a a, a, a published author like you, Mister Carmen. But uh, the the you know uh, w when I'm writing, especially for campaigns and for stories, um, you know, and, and I look at it, I go to me. There's a, a a big difference between uh you know essentially writing a story where I'm interested in people being dramatically interactive with it, and I'm writing a story that I can control the pacing a hundred percent. You know, it, it is a, a piece of art to be looked at, you know, so I, I find that there's an interesting difference. Now, let me ask you, I'm, I'm going to assume that you are a, a GM. Yes, you, you still run tabletop games? Oh, yeah, I don't remember the last time I got to play. I'm pretty much the solid GM all the time. <laughs> Okay, uh, w w when you are you are playing uh, a GM at your table with, with your group of friends, one of the things that, that there's been a lot of, I'm going to say conversation with, I, I call it modern tabletop playing, uh, a lot of the new indie games coming out that have a big focus on, you know, shared world building and shared, uh, you know, all this stuff and, and taking uh, taking stress off of the, the GM, uh, and that's sort of the, the new indie way that's coming up. One of the things I was going to ask you is, as a GM, when you are preparing a story, whether you're playing L5R or Thunderscape or whatever it is that uh, th th that you're GMing, how much do you plan out of a story? Are, are you more improv heavy? Do you go with the flow? Do you, do you give your players a lot of control over the story? Do you do you actually write out a traditional three act structure? What, what what do you actually do, Sean, for for your games? Uh, well, I try to. I mean, I try to have a at least an outline of where I think things may go. You know, um, so that I'll be prepared because with my guys, I've been gaming with the same guys since I guess high school. I don't know. We've, we've just been, uh, you know, we hung out together in high school and then we, most of us ended up at the same college. And then, you know, we, we've just been around each other almost to the point where we're sick to death of each other, but we can't seem to break up. And it's very dysfunctional. We play the same things. And so I can kind of guess how they're going to react. Uh, but I do know too, that some of them are, are, you know, some days they just want to kind of sit and kind of let me drive the bus and, and kind of react to what's going on. And then others, they feel they, they, they've got more of a uh, more of a personal investment in it and want to see how things play out and want to have more control. So I try to have a rough idea of what I want to do or what I want to see happen and then just um, just move from there. And then, and, you know, 
you know, ideally they'll they'll be invested in it. But I don't. I learned a long time ago not to spend too much energy writing stuff out because then somehow that never pans out. <laughs> The the I I swear I actually I call myself I'm an antagonist in a world full of protagonists because I I I preached for, for forever uh, on the GM Academy and a lot of people turned up their nose to me but I will say it officially and I will still hold it I am a big I plan out story I plan out a three act structure I I plan out a finale I before I get into any game do I almost ever get to my actual finale that I plan out no because players change know. things um you know but but I'm actually a big one that I go no I am I am here to give a story and I'm here to tell a story and I hear people all the time tell me no you can't do that you'll railroad yada 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 well I'm here to go go listen to one shot go listen to the L5R game we ran and, and see that that glorious finale I'll, I'll put my signature on that piece but uh t- to tell one story on that all right then but, but before I'll, I'll move on to something else because of course it's L5R related of of players not not doing what you would expect them to do it, it was early in my, my long-running L5 uh, two and a half year L5R campaign um that once for Fourth edition came out and I read the books, loved. It. I was like, "Hey guys, we got to play this." You know, uh, fourth edition D anD D is nothing. We got to play L five R, and we, we were playing it. And as part of the story, we and, and we messed continuity all up. So the L five R fans in the, in the group just ignore all this. But we, we had a little political situation that arose with our party where they were sent outside the wall to go to a scouting mission. Essentially, it was go die outside the wall so we don't have to politically deal with you. So they went out there, and the setup was that they were going to go out to the old Haruma Castle that was was overtaken at some point, and probably in the story is probably supposed to be retaken. But anyway, it was still uh, occupied in the Shadowlands, and they were going out to it because of strange behavior. And they ran into the Lord Daigotsu himself, which to me is the single most interesting character in all of L5R. I am in love with Daigotsu. I'm going to tell you that right now. And the concept was he was going to do a big speech about how... He, he was the, the last remaining Hante and that he should be sitting on the throne and yada, yada, yada. They would have a little encounter. They would run from him. Oni would attack the wall. It'd, it'd be a fun little chase back to the wall and then combat. My players went, oh, he makes a good point. Come with us back into Rokugan. Oh, dear. And I, I literally just, I, I had my entire page of notes, and I just took it off the table and dropped it to the floor. And I go, okay, we're playing a different game now, I suppose. And that was the moment the party turned evil. But yes, yes, it, it, it's a, a heck of a lot of fun. Now, of course, that was we've done a lot talking about L5R. You're a writer, and again, you write for other things beside L5R. As a matter of fact, you've got your own publishing company with a game called Thunderscape. You mentioned a little earlier. Tell us about Thunderscape. All right, well, uh, you know, I discovered Thunderscape uh, in the mid-'90s. Um, there was a, a company called SSI uh, that made computer games, and they... Uh, wanted to create their own world for um, to, to, to publish games in. They wanted a setting, basically, uh, like because they they were familiar with the Dungeons and Dragons games back then and knew how that worked. And they had you know they could all set them in Greyhawk or whatever. And so they turned to Shane Hensley, who um, at that time was a, a fairly well known freelancer, but he hadn't uh, you know really broken it big with Deadlands just yet. And he and his group of people created this this setting for them. And so they created Thunderscape, which was a PC game. And then uh, later that year, they followed it with Intimorph, another PC game um, that uh, that was set in the same world. And then uh, they had three novels written, one by Mr. Hensley, one by Mark Akers, and one by Dixie um, McLennan, I think. Um, and then they uh, West End Games, who published, this is how I found it, because I was a huge Star Wars fan, uh, and West End Games was doing the Star Wars role-playing game. So West End Games put out a supplement for Aiden with their master book system. 
Uh, and that's how I found it. And I was just absolutely, I, I, and I still, I couldn't say why. I mean, there's so much of the love about it. I have no idea what one thing captivated me so much back then, but I was fascinated by it and took it back to my guys, the same guys I still play with today. This is the mid nineties. We all loved it. We played different games in it. We played it with this game and this system, that system. And then, uh, you know, SSI went out of business. Weston games kind of tanked there for a while. And, you know, Thunderscape just disappeared. So there were two video games, three novels, and two role-playing game supplements, and 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 no one else ever seemed to have heard, have any idea what we were talking about when we described it. So around 2000, we started trying to find out who held the rights, thinking maybe we could buy them. Um, and through a, a series of events, uh, Shane Hensley, who had created the world, ended up with the rights. And so I harassed him for over a decade periodically, just every year or so. I'd email him like, hey, what about that thing? And so in 2000, October of 2012, he agreed to sell it to my group. Uh, we bought it in April. We had a Kickstarter, and our first Kickstarter was for the Pathfinder setting or for the Pathfinder system. And we raised uh, $29,337, and we published uh, our core rule book, came out in February of 2014. Uh, and since then, we've published uh, a supplement roughly once a month ever since. And we just finished up the Kickstarter to do a Savage Worlds version of the core rules because, you know, Savage Worlds, of course, is Shane Hindley's big thing. And he created the world. He created the system. Seems like a good match. A lot of people have asked us since it came out uh, if that's something we would do. And we did. To me, Thunderscape is just amazing because it was the first time I'd ever seen these different genres smashed together. Uh, the only way to describe it is uh, a post-apocalyptic fantasy horror, right? You've got this amazing uh, world that's got science and technology advancing up to the steam level. They're in the throes of their industrial revolution. Then there's this supernatural cataclysm, which almost destroys the world. And everybody's 10 years later, they're, they're trying desperately to recover and survive. And it's just there's so much, you know, every nation has its own unique flavor and own archetypes. And, you know, there's I, when I read it back then and in 95 and, and hopefully when people read it today, when they see what we've done with it, you know, you can read through and you think, oh, my God, I want to make a character like that that's from this country. Oh, no, I want to make one from this. country. Oh, no, this country's cool, too. You know, just, you know, I'm going to be a paladin from Aristine or I'm going to be a mecha mage from Urbana or I'm going to be an intomancer from Kyan. You know, just all these incredible different opportunities and, and cool ideas that was just crammed into this one package. Um, and I knew it was brilliant when I saw it in the 90s, and I knew it was amazing, and I knew that it just never reached its its audience. And so I'm just I feel privileged to have the chance to to work on it now and 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 help bring it to more people, uh, you know. And a lot of you know Pathfinder has been successful, and 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 Savage Worlds are really excited to to break into a new group, and and you know Drive Through has has provided us with an opportunity to do PDFs or print on demand, and it's just. All the things I loved about gaming when I first started have just all come back to me in a rush, and it's just, it's its amazing. I'm working with amazing people. We're putting out what I think are amazing products, uh, and I'm just, uh, you know, I giggle constantly when I think about it. It's amazing. Well, that, that is, and I mean, I can I can hear your passion. I mean, coming through the microphone of this, it, it's got me over here. I'm, I'm bouncing up and down with excitement. I, I got to ask, is this is this a super? You know, like I would describe L5R as a super lore heavy world. I mean, it's there. There's a lot into it. You know, to get in and read. Is this similar in that regard? Of you know that that there is a lot of lore. There's a lot of what's going on. Is it is it primarily a mechanical supplement? What what sort of makes up the 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 bulk of your world well the, the core book that the, the the original release has uh, you know it, it is mechanics heavy it is a pathfinder supplement 
I do think it's a, a good value for what you get. I mean, we had to, uh, as a result of the Kickstarter, we ended up, we were originally going to introduce four new base classes for people to, they were really thematic and that we felt like couldn't really be, uh, you couldn't really develop a character the way you might want to with the existing Pathfinder classes. Uh, and that ballooned up to nine as a result of some stretch goals. But, uh, you know, I knew when we started it that I myself was not strong enough in terms of designing things mechanically for Pathfinder uh, in order to make it happen. Uh, you know, and so I went to the, the you know, the, the best mechanical design guy and the most brilliant GM and the best writer I know, uh, my friend Rich Wolf, who preceded me as a lead writer for L5R. Um, I've been very fortunate that he's he stuck around with us and is part of the Kyodai Games board and uh, and helps decide you know what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and and you know he he's you know we, we bounce ideas off each other and I think we both make the other one even better. I just hope that he'll never realize you know he doesn't really need me to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, you know it, it is you know it, the Pathfinder version. Pathfinder is a is a very uh, dense mechanical. Um, uh, system. I don't necessarily, when I'm playing games, I don't get caught down up in a lot of the, the little minutia about here or there. You know, I play a little bit faster and looser than probably a lot of Pathfinder GMs do, but I really like the core of the system regardless. It, there is some lore. You're, you ask about the lore. I mean, there's there's 12 different nations, two of which were created as a result of the, the Kickstarter. The other 10 existed in the game's original version when it was um, from when we took it back in the 90s. But, uh, you know, there's, it's hard to describe. I mean, the core book has everything you need, all the story and everything. And then what we're trying to do is just leave it as open as possible for people to tell their own stories. You know, we're, we're trying to set up the stage with all these amazing, cool toys and tools for people to use and then, and then run and do what they want with it. Now, in the supplements that we're releasing in the source books, we're adding more cool things as they come along. You know, some of them are suggested by some of our backers and some of them are just things that we think up and this, that and the other. But, uh, you know, it's it's I liken it somewhat to L5R just because I, we are trying to find ways to incorporate, uh, um, you know, people that are playing its input. You know, we listen very carefully to what our fans are saying and and you're like, we really want to see this. And so we try to do that or we really, you know, we're interested in more information about this and we try to do that. Um, you know, we're fortunate that Kickstarter, we did it through Kickstarter, which allows us uh, an excellent way to communicate and get feedback from a lot of the people that are the most invested in what we're doing. But we're always, you know, our, we have a very active, uh, you know, we're present on Facebook, we've got a Twitter, uh, and we try to to take as much input from fans as possible in terms of what they want to see and how they want to see it and things like that. And we're very, uh, you know, I like to take ideas from things that they say and go with them. You know, I mean, it's it's. It, it's hard to do. You can't, we don't have as uh, robust a fiction narrative as we do for L5R. You know, we don't do a fiction every other week and things like that. Uh, I think we'd like to, but right now we're still, there's fairly small number of us working on the book and it's just not something our bandwidth can incorporate. Um, but, uh, you know, we would, we would really like that kind of interaction, right? We'd really like that same level of, 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 of communication with the fans because I mean, it's the you know it's 2015. There's no communicating with people is so easy to do. Uh, you know, there's no excuse not to do it, right? There's absolutely you should do it. Talk to people on podcasts or email or forums or Facebook or whatever. You know, why not reach out to the people that are enjoying what you're doing and try and and make them more of a part of it? I mean, that's just the way to uh, that's just the way to to run your business, I think. And that's that's what we're trying to do, and and hopefully we'll continue to improve with that regard as we as we move forward. 
one of the things that I got really excited for is, of course, and the uh, the Kickstarter for the Savage Worlds version of it. Because my prejudice is I, I'm not a Pathfinder fan. Um, I, I don't really enjoy that style of play. You know, the Pathfinder, the, the 3.5. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just, just sort of my prejudice. Most of my games, you know, again, I, I, for some reason, keep going back to L5R tonight for some crazy reason. But <laughs> we, 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 my group, you know, when, when we're playing L5R, we're literally, we're, we're so into it, we're so in character. I mean, all regularly we would have situations where, okay, we're getting hungry, it's time to eat. We would load up in the car, still fully in character, go get Chinese, order our food. We're standing in the lobby of the Chinese food place, still talking. Uh, you know, we have have Kikita that's talking on that side, and we've got Moto that's talking on the other, and, and me trying to GM and officiate everything. And then we get in the car, and we come back, and we get to the table, and if there's any die rolls we need, we make them when we get back to the table. And, and that's sort of the, the play style, and, and Pathfinder 2 me is a little a little too rules heavy for what I run. You know, when I saw the Savage World came out, I got really excited b- because that that's something that I f- I can sink my teeth into a lot more. I feel and, and it's more up my alley. So I'm really excited to check it out. Obviously, the Kickstarter just wrapped up in what was it? Uh, just a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, two weeks ago tomorrow. Yeah. When is for those that didn't back it? When is it, it going to be a, a, available to purchase and out? Uh, hopefully, very soon. We had the text finished and approved by Pinnacle um, when the Kickstarter ended. Once we had to wait for Kickstarter to process everything, but this week we made the you know the bare bones version of the PDF available to the backers, uh, which is you know no art, no page dress or anything, just the raw you know the text in a PDF form. Um, and so we'd like to make sure that we give them a week or two to look over it, help us find any rough spots that need to be smoothed out. But our uh, our layout guy, Mike Brodu, you know, I, he's got to be a cyborg. I don't know how he can do things <laughs> as, as fast as he can. He's amazing. Um, and so he's finished up uh, his design for the page, the the the, tra- the, the page dress. So it's going to look on a, on you open the two books, the Pathfinder version and the Savage World version. You know, some of you'll recognize the the art style, but the the pages are going to look completely different. So it'll be, you know, we're we're concerned about and want to be very careful that no one is confused about what they buy whenever they get our product, right? You know, if you are stoked about Savage Worlds and you buy something and open it up, you've got the Pathfinder version by mistake. You know, that's 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 a bad customer service opportunity <laughs> waiting to happen right there. So we're trying to make sure. That doesn't happen, but we're hoping the core book, uh, we said July, if it's possible at the end of the month, but more than likely, I'd say um, we'll have it available on drive through for uh, PDF and print-on-demand probably mid-August, maybe a little bit later. We'll see, but uh, unless there's some sort of horrific accident by then, it's possible it'll be out earlier. I really wanted us to have some printed copies by Gen Con, but I just don't see how any sane human being can make that happen without uh, uh, accidentally killing our layout guy. And I really kind of like him. <laughs> the, the, are, uh, is there going to be a booth for Thunderscape uh, at Gen Con? Absolutely, yes. We have, uh, we've we got a, a nice big double booth with a table for some impromptu demos if people want to try it out. We're going to have a – we've uh, been working with DriveThru. We have a, a ton of our um, existing products are going to be printed and available for people to look at. We've got the core book. We have some uh, some excellent little surprises. Are one of the things that ended up happening as a result of our as a result of our Savage Worlds Kickstarter is that we have some playing cards with uh, Thunderscape backs and uh, customized Thunderscape art and and icons and everything on them that Mike designed that look just amazing. And we're going to have some of those decks. Uh, I'm hoping to have some. Uh, 
some poker chips for the Thunderscape logo for Benny's if people are interested in that kind of thing. So we're going to have, you know, we had a, a really surprising year at Gen Con last year. I was hoping that it would turn out nice and, and we did. It was our first year with a real booth and it was uh, better than I could have. I dared imagine that we might do. Um, and we sold out of all of our uh, non-core rulebook stuff before Saturday morning, which kind of made me kick myself repeatedly. But so <laughs> I'm, I'm very hopeful and optimistic that things will be even better this year, and I'm, I'm really excited to get there and get it all set up. Well, wonderful. Well, if you get one of those uh, one of those books by chance printed, and you do happen to kill your layout guy for it, just, just so you know, I'll be by the booth to pick one up. Just, <laughs> just so you know, if we get any, I'll make sure there's one with your name on. Don't worry. <laughs> What well, what is one sacrifice, but for the enjoyment of someone else? Right, I, you know, yeah, you know, he's li- he's lived a long and healthy life. It's, <laughs> there we go. Well, we're talking about cons. Obviously, like I say you're going to be uh, at Gen Con. You, are you running any games at Gen Con? What what uh, what are you doing there? You acting in official capacity? I'm I from because it's the 20th anniversary of L5R. The vast majority of my time will be consumed doing, uh, um, you know, being present at a lot of different L5R events. I'm on duty most of the time in the card game hall where all the tournaments are to, you know, to, to talk to the fans and everything and work with my team, be by the AEG booth some and everything. And then when I get a spare minute, I'll be at the Thunderscape booth. But I will not have a tremendous amount of spare time. Uh, because they moved Gen Con back and it's starting at the end of uh, July, I kind of hoped maybe this year I'd be able to sneak my little boy uh, up there and, and do stuff, but then I realized it was L5R's 20th, and I was like, oh, no, that, that's not going to work out. So I took him to Origins instead, and that, that worked out. Well, well, there you go. Your, your fans demand your attention at Gen Con. Uh, who am I to deny the will of the people? <laughs> like, like, like the true good emperor that you are. The uh, But but we have, we, we have another con to talk about, actually. Uh, one that is, and, and this is kind of the, the official announcement for it. it it's come out in, in some small channels, but a con that I dare say will be better than Gen Con, even though this is its kind of first official year, so I'm not quite sure the numbers are going to be the same. Uh, and, and I don't even know why I'm prepping it, because that's whole, Michael's whole shtick for the uh, the RPG Academy. But as, as I'm sitting in his chair right now, I feel the the catacon energy flowing through me and uh it's it's called a catacon and it's going to be i, I think it's the second weekend in november he's going to shoot me for not knowing the dates i think it's like the 11th or 13th or something like that uh but there'll be all the posts up and it's going to be the second weekend and it's here in cincinnati ohio technically oxford ohio but it's, it's essentially cincinnati for those out of state and it's going to be a, a much smaller more intimate con but their big announcement is Sean, I believe you're coming up for it. Is that right? I am. I'm. Uh, I'm headed north. I'm uh, excited. <laughs> and, and and I could not could not be more excited because what we're calling this and, and, and no pressure here uh, it, it's going to be our wonderful L5R Super Shell for, for the fans of this of course I'm going to be there Michael's going to be there Caleb is going to be there James and Kat of One Shot Podcast are going to be there so the entire crew that you all know from the L5R One Shot is going to be there together with the guy who made L5R as we know it so I I could not be more excited like I'm I'm sitting here giddy just can't wait for November. It's like, oh, there's Gen Con. Yeah, that's a thing that's going to happen in a few weeks, whatever. But a catacon, a catacon's where it's at. So for any of you listening that are, are really interested in uh, in seeing this, again, this isn't going to be a, a con that has, you know, 5,000 people at it. This is going to be a small venue. Uh, and I think, Sean, you, you've agreed to run a couple games for us, yeah? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and we, we, we think by definitely by November we should have one of those uh, Savage Worlds books, yes? Absolutely, yes. 
Outstanding. So, so, so are you telling me that you're going to run a run a nice Savage World Thunderscape game for me? I am planning to run Pathfinder and Savage World. Yes. So you you sign up for whichever one you like. Outstanding. And and, and now I'm going to make one more thing, and I'm going to put you on the spot because I didn't I didn't do this beforehand. Now you understand, of course. I am I'm a big fan of Legend of the Five Rings. I I may have mentioned this once or twice, and. I'm super excited, and you're going to be there, and I'm going to get to meet you for the first time, uh, although maybe we'll meet at Gen Con, uh, hopefully. But I, I, I'm going to have you at a table, and, and you kind of threw out that you always have to GM. So normally when I would meet one of my heroes that ran a game, I would say, run a game for me, please. I'm going to go the other way, Sean. I'm going to invite you. I want to run a game of Legend of Five Rings of 4th Edition that you created, and I want to run a game for you and a group of people so that I can show you what I do with this creation that you made and gave me so much enjoyment. Well, that sounds excellent. I would be delighted. Outstanding. And then I'll, I'll give you all the details as we build it up, but we, we are going to do a, a, a one-shot with, with you, Sean Carmen, uh, and I'm going to get a GM for you, and I'm sitting here tingly with excitement for it. So, uh, again, for those listening, a Catacon the second weekend in November, it is going to be an L5R Super Show. We're going to have Sean Carmen there running Thunderscape. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other guests coming in, too. You can listen to, to, to Michael's the one who, who organizes all that. I, I'm just here as the L5R guy. Although, for, for one weekend, I won't be the L5R guy. I'll have to have to bow to, to Sean. Oh, you be the L5R guy. <laughs> a deep, respectful vow, Sean. Well, thank you. I, I could not be excited, and, and thank you so much for coming up for the show. Well, we are at the end of the traditional interview, but we mentioned earlier that we have, or I should say L5R, has a very, very rabid fan base that is very into it and into the world. And we put out before this interview uh, a post up on, we, we've had it on the, the Reddit site, we've had it on G+, and we've had it on the Facebook communities for L5R asking, what questions would you like to ask Sean Carmen? And uh, Michael's done this before with some of the other guests, and he said he's gotten like two or three responses. I whittled down and combined same questions, and I'm at, like, I mean, literally dozens and dozens and dozens of these. But uh, we're going to run the gauntlet a little bit with some uh, some L5R questions. So for those listening, the reason we're doing this at the end is this is going to kind of be L5R lore heavy. And probably half of this, if you're not an active L5R player, is going to make little to no sense to you. But for th- this is for this is for the L5R fans in the audience. And if you ever wanted to get into the world, you're going to just see kind of how rich it is. So, so Sean, with your permission, I have a list of user questions from uh, f- from your fans. Come at me, bro. <laughs> okay, what we have is our first question is if you could have your own magical tattoo like our wonderful monks, what would it be and what would it do if you could have it in real life? Uh, well, you know, I'm very partial to the hedgehog. Um, so let's go with hedgehog. Uh, what would it do? I don't know. I could curl into a ball and roll down the street. I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> I, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've been asking quite some time. Because literally, I, I told the story of how I got into L5R with, with my little cards uh, and, and playing with my brother. At the same time, of course, we had the Sega Genesis there playing Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> to death. I mean, I was always a Sonic fan of Mario. You're not about to tell me you're a Sonic fan. Uh, I played a fair amount of Sonic on the Genesis when I was a kid, yes. 
Oh, so good. So good. Sonic 2, best game ever made. I'm, I'm holding to it. I apologize to my Metal Gear Solid fans, but Sonic 2, best game ever made. I love it. Hedgehog tattoo. I'll, I'll allow you to do the speed dash. Okay. If you could reset the storyline to before the clan war, what is one thing that you would do differently? Hmm, before the clan war, huh? Yeah, that's a heck of a question. I think probably I would have um, Yogo Junzo, the corrupted scorpion uh, uh, Shugenja, uh, go out a little differently. I always thought getting run over by a horse seemed a little ignominious. I might have him uh, have him a little bit more dramatic end to that, which I thought was a very powerful story. Um, so I guess that's where I'd go with. Well, you can't throw that out without throwing out what you would speculate the dramatic end would be. Oh, or I don't know. He would, uh, I just, I, you know, Ataku Komoko was the one who uh, brought about his end. I'd just have them uh, have a little bit more of a dramatic confrontation instead of her running over him on her way to something more important. <laughs> it seemed a little dismissive. Okay, f- fair enough. Um, I, I, another question from our, our fans on Reddit. If for the fans of L5R that, that play the card game or play the RPG, how can they get more involved in in writing the story or help to write in story? For for someone that enjoys the game but isn't really that involved in the the meta concepts yet, how can they get involved? Well, the best way, uh, if you're not into the meta plot, like there there is a see this is a convoluted answer. I apologize in advance. There's a group called Heroes of Rokugan who do an incredible and immersive uh, storyline of their own with the RPG, which is usually separate from uh, the main storyline, but which we try to borrow from and try to interact with in our uh, Imperial Histories Two supplement. You know, one of them was uh, one of them was a Heroes of Rokugan uh, uh, story from one of their arcs in the RPG, um, and we are you know at AEG is extremely supportive of Heroes of Rokugan and tries to make sure that they get a lot of. Uh, recognition and that we uh, support them with prize support and things like that. We have Heroes of Rokugan run storyline RPG events uh, at Gen Con every year, so it's a way you can go and sit down and play, uh, you know, the RPG with an amazing GM and a group of people and actually have what you're doing, you know, be reflected in the story. Um, so if you're not into the card game and you're not interested in the meta plot that way, then I, I have to say Heroes of Rokugan is your best bet because they're just uh, those, those people are organized on a way in a, on a level that I can only be disgustingly envious of. It's it's amazing <laughs> the things that they're able to pull off at all these huge shows and the coordination and the, you know the enthusiasm. It's just uh, if you haven't tried it, I, I strongly recommend it. Okay, wonderful. Uh, n- another question again from Reddit is, uh, which clan do you think has the best food, Sean? Uh, probably the Crane. They're stinking wealthy. <laughs> uh, the the Mantis are also wealthy, and I do love seafood, so I, I would go with one of those two probably. So, so, so you're saying the dragon in their mountain tuna isn't uh, isn't what you're going with? I've had goat when I was in the Virgin Islands in, uh, in high school, and I wasn't that impressed. So, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm not gonna go. Uh, I'm not gonna go with the mountain tuna. We're, yeah, I was say we're, we're in polite culture. It, it's mountain tuna, Sean. Oh, um, oh. and, and that, now I have to give up one of my secrets because while all right, you, actually no, I'm gonna ask you this first, and then I'll get the answer. I'll put you on the spot. Which is the best clan? Oh, see, I, I, no cop out answers. No, no, which is the I, best clan? I will say that I have had answers for that at different answers at different points during my career. Particularly when I was a fan and first got started, I would have said wasp clan all the way. Uh, which I guess would have eventually migrated to Mantis Clan. I'm still a big Mantis fan, but 
Uh, for me, you know, if you're if you're doing quintessential samurai drama, you know, you just you can't go any farther than the Lion Clan. Fair. The, the I I hold that uh, of course uh, Phoenix Clan is clearly the best clan because c- combined between our our Void Shugenja and the Hinchin Monks, which are just from a narrative standpoint amazing. I'm addicted with the Hinchin Monks. Uh, although from a class standpoint, mechanically a little bit broken. Uh, not not gonna lie. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I actually the one time I got to play in my story, I played a Hinchin monk, so ever, everyone knew me of I played the the uber powerful character that never wants to actually help out with his uber powers. So, but that's that's the way I balance it out. So I'll I'll forgive you for liking the lion, um, but but Phoenix is best clam, just, just for the record. What was I thinking? I was clearly clearly I was I was a moment of indis- of, of insanity there. The and actually I got to ask this because I I I've spoken with you once before and you actually told me that uh, you, you were one of the big influences on on kind of reworking and retooling a little bit of the Voyage again how they work for fourth edition is that right? Gosh, that was so long ago. I think so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you, last time we talked, you told me, yeah, okay. so I'm holding it. It's true. And assume I was telling the truth. I. Uh... I did this the the basic Shugenja school re, rework for I mean I did the Book of Earth the core mechanics uh, for the whole game and then when it came to the schools um, I worked on the Shugenja and Brian Yoon did a lot of the Bushi and Rob Hobart did a lot of the uh, the courtier so uh, Shugenja school yes it was probably me all right outstanding I'll take it are there another again another one of our our listener questions are there plans to offer Imperial Assembly subscriptions, anything RPG related? Um, they're they're talking about how to uh, make the the IA a little bit more inclusive of our different clan groups. Um, so I hope so. the The problem being is that it's difficult to get uh, the all the people who would be the most amazing writers for Imperial Assembly RPG uh, uh, articles and supplements are already working their fingers to the bone on other things for the RPG. Um, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. But I know that Rob would really like to branch out a little bit more and do some more things. Um, so I'm optimistic that we would we could see something like that. I mean, I remember uh, when I was back before I worked for the company, I used to hunt down uh, issues of the Herald just so I could get the little adventures that were in them and the little NPC write-ups in schools and things like that. So I, I, you know, I always thought that was a huge, you know, I get one of those in the mail. I was super excited to see what was in it. So I, I would love to restore that kind of, that kind of enjoyment for people who really dig the RPG to find a little something here and there they can use and could inspire them for something. But uh, uh, all I can do is pass it up the ladder. So I'll do that. Okay, and then let me just ask you, because it has me curious. I mean, I'm a fan that, while I am more of an RPG fan than the card game fan, I'm a fan that does do both. I, I by no means am competitive in uh, in the card game, because that, that is a heck of a competitive game. But I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, enjoy, I enjoy it on a social level of play. Do you think there's a lot of crossover between the two fandoms, or do you think, as in the, the RPG and the uh, the card game, or do you think that they are you know more separate? Well, I, we haven't. There hasn't been any research into that done recently, but there at various times in the past, people have looked at the numbers and done some number crunching and conducted some surveys. And every time it's ever been done in the past, it, there's a there's a pretty significant amount of crossover. You know, not not entirely, but you know, there are plenty of people that just play the card game, or plenty of people that just play the RPG. But there are a lot of people who do both. You know, so the ones that uh, that grouse about things, uh, you know, the the you know the RPG guys who don't like the CCG guys, and vice versa. Those are, uh, uh, in our experience, a pretty vocal minority 
Um, so, you know, with, with the social media being what it is in this day and age, uh, you know, you, you get a lot of, of squeaky wheels. Um, but we're trying to make sure that we're respecting all the groups without, uh, without you know, showing any unnecessary favoritism or anything like that. So. Okay. And if, if you could show a little favoritism to the RPG community, of course, I would appreciate that. Oh, of course. Well, you know. <laughs> no, a, a, everyone's equal. We're just a little more equal. Very, okay. Very uh, animal farm of you. <laughs> another, uh, n- another question here for you. And this is kind of a heavy one. In hindsight, what do you think has been the biggest success and failure of 4th edition? Biggest success and failure. Uh, I think that our goal or, or, or my goal when I started it and then I brought my, my buddies, uh, Rob and Brian in and they were, uh, you know, couldn't have done it any of it without them. They were absolutely essential to the process. The goal was that you could take the core rule book for fourth edition and, and make your character with it and then have everything, everything be simple enough that you could have everything on your sheet and you could play from your character sheet. With it, and I, I think that we succeeded fairly admirably at that initially. Um, you know, any RPG that's out long enough, you know, there's there's going to be additional mechanics and new things, and and it's it's not necessarily gotten that much more complicated. But there are so many options that it can be difficult to keep up with, which is just the nature of the beast. Um, I think that its accessibility and simplicity out of the gate was probably our biggest success. Uh, it's certainly the thing that I'm the most proud of worst mistake i'm absolutely positive that we've made some i'm just trying to think of what they are uh oh if, if, if you tell me the answer is it's perfect i'm going oh, to agree with you 100 percent because very flattering but uh you know i'm sure we've done something i just don't remember there ever being anything uh you know that i at one point we were approached by somebody in the company to talk about you know like what do we need to do differently if we do a fifth edition or whatever and I, I, you know, I thought about it and I was like, you're, you're going to, you know, if you want a fifth edition, you know, you're, I, I think it would be better if you had someone else do it. Because I honestly, if I went back and redid fourth editions, core, the, the essential rules and everything, I just, if I changed something, it would be because I felt like it, you know, I would be changing it just to change it. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm sure that there are mistakes. I'm sure that there are things that are individual mechanics that are out of balance that I, I don't know, you know, that I can't think of. You know, but all in all, honestly, uh, you know, there's nothing that I think uh, I can think of off the top of my head that I would say was uh, a catastrophic problem or that needed to be addressed or that, that was just hugely problematic. Uh, it'll probably come to me in five minutes and I'll, I'll tell you, oh, wait, we, we screwed this up. And that uh, I'll let you know if I think of it between now and then. Uh, again, you, you you did not break the immersion from me that I am playing the perfect game, so I, I am happy with that answer, Sean. I've been telling everyone this for years. <laughs> the the and actually it ties in very well with the next question that we had. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the question, then actually phrase it a little different because you kind of already answered it, which is, what are the plans for a fifth edition? And and I'm gonna rephrase slightly of going. In the world that we live in, you know, obviously there is a, a, a large business component to tabletop. You know that probably more than anyone. And what I wonder is, like you say, with fourth edition, which is fairly universally seen as, you know, the best version, at least in, in the, the groups that I talk to, the fourth edition of, of the tabletop game is, I mean, amazing. It, it came out, and I legitimately can't think of, other than, like, the minorest of minor tweaks. Uh, like, I personally don't like how the kata mechanics are handled, but I can't remember ever having one of my players that use kata mechanics. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It, it's so well refined. 
that you go, at what point do you go, okay, we did it, we made L5R, and it is perfect and good, and we've had on a list of expansion books, is there a need to do a fifth edition? So I guess my question to you is, do you feel that it could ever, you know, a game like L5R could rest and literally go, we have made fourth edition, we think this perfectly represents what we want from L5R, and the game is now complete, it's in its final form, or do you think there will be a fifth edition? Uh, well, to be, I mean, uh, my role with, uh, because of my increasing duties with uh, the card game and my, and because of, card, honestly, because of everything that I do with Thunderscape, my role with uh, L5R RPG has been pretty diminished over the past year or so. If there are firm plans in place for, you know, a, third, a fifth edition to come out or, or launch or anything like that, I don't know what they are. I'm not saying that there aren't plans. I'm just saying I don't know if there are. I don't know what they are, so I couldn't say. You know, I you there are always things that are going to be different. You know, the paradigm in tabletop gaming is going to change. You know, I think that with 5th edition D&D, there are a lot of things that people are looking at a little bit differently, or, or 13th age, which is, uh, from my perspective, just a completely different take on, on what D20 can be played like. Um, you know, and if sooner or later, it is inevitable that, uh, you know, the, the general consensus of what the, the ideal model of RPG experiences is going to be like will migrate into a direction where L5R is no longer appealing. So I don't think you can ever have one system and not tweak it, right? I mean, I, I imagine that eventually there will have to be a fifth edition um, done differently. You know, I, I designed the, the core stuff of the fourth, you know, if somebody else designed fifth, it'll reflect more of their personal preferences. Uh, you know, and I'll be excited to see it. I would love to see what somebody else would have to do just because, uh, you know, I was so, I was so tunnel visioned and honed in on, on fourth edition that, you know, I, I'm curious to see, you know, what, what are ideas I didn't have? What are things somebody else might've done differently? I'd love to see what that looks like, but I don't know, you know, in a, publishing from a publishing standpoint i'm just not sure that you can ever say you know okay we're good this is it we're done just because you know if somebody comes along like oh this is this is looks like a fun game there's a core rule book and oh there's 10 years of supplements ah you know that's that's gonna that might turn people off right because eventually at some point it becomes very self-referential right you know you 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 begin to depend upon the, the 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 supplements. Well, out of the gate with fourth edition, we wanted to make every source book self-contained so that when you read that source book, if you had the core book, you understood everything that was in it. But, you know, that's probably an unrealistic goal. And sooner or later, that kind of diffusion of all the information that you've got spread across so many different things can make it uh, can make it pretty difficult to access for a new person. The uh, and, and I, I do have to say, you, you said one thing in there that offended me, and that is at some point there's not going to be an appeal for fourth edition L5R. And uh, now, now m- maybe I'm just in the shadows. That's, a, that's purely theory. <laughs> purely theory. Purely theory. Uh, yes, but uh, I, I cannot cannot accept. A, I don't want to live in that future. That would be our post-apocalyptic world. That that L5R fourth edition couldn't be appreciated. All right, very good. I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, let's go into um, if you had to write a spinoff like Rokugan 2K, which we're going to talk about a little bit more later, uh, what non-canon setting would you write in? Uh, you know, several years ago, uh, we, I, uh, you're, you may be familiar with this. It may have been before your time. I don't know. I, it probably was. Uh, we used to do uh, uh, every year on April Fool's Day, we would release a, a ridic- you know, something ridiculous 
about L5R, you know, that, that would, people would get sucked into because they wouldn't realize what we were doing. And then we, you know, make a big joke of it. Um, so several years ago, the team, uh, the story team that I had together at that time, Fred Wan, Brian Yoon, Rusty Prisk, Nancy Sauer, we decided we released this big press announcement on April 1st that, you know, for the first time we were going to let the RPG people see what was coming in advance, you know, with the, instead of the story people, uh, you know, having this new era. And then two years later, we released a source book. We were going to have them do it first. And, uh, basically it was my attempt to break every one of my, uh, you know, golden rules about what not to do with L5R. Uh, you know, I brought Toturi Sudao back from the dead and we crossed it over with Doomtown and Seventh Sea and Warlord. Uh, and, and there was a Gaijin invasion and the Firefly clan, which was a non-canon minor clan we created in, in one of the source books as an example of how to do it. And just all this stuff I had sworn to God in heaven, I was never going to do uh, we did all in one fell swoop, uh, and and you know most people rec- thought it was really cool and recognized it for what it was. A, a, a small number of people uh, were uh, did not think it was funny and were annoyed that we were that they thought we were actually going to do it. And then there was a, a very, very like maybe four guys uh, who thought it was amazing. And then when it was April Fool's joke, they were pissed. Um, but uh, I would probably go back and. And check that out. Oh, you know, we revealed who Master Tiger was, which is something we've always sworn we'd never do. It was just this exercise in doing everything we said we would absolutely never do under any circumstances. And, uh, and it was the most fun writing uh, something that I think that my group and I'd ever had. We'd sit around on Skype laughing hysterically at each other and writing. And it was it came across super serious. The material was super serious. Just the thought, the, the thinking behind it was uh, ridiculously skewed. So. I would totally go into the undead Master Tiger Invades uh, Rokugan era. <laughs> a, that, that is the most... I had not heard that. I, I wasn't... I, I've never... As terrible as that, I, I never really pay attention to the meta plot that much. I go, what, what comes out my fourth edition books is, is what I know. But uh, the, 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 you just told me the entire concept of a Firefly clan. And I'm like, oh, and you canceled it the first day. That's uh, that's typical. That's typical. <laughs> But uh, I I am now obsessed with the concept of a Firefly clan just from you already telling me it's fictitious. Now I have to make a Firefly clan. Yeah, well, there's a school for it in one of the books somewhere. I think we. Uh, Is it really? Yeah, yeah, I think so. We we you know it was. I think that was back during third probably. But uh, I think it may have appeared in the Imperial Archives. I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. Now I have some research to do. Okay, so now we're going to talk about something. Okay. And, and and this bothers me, but a lot of L5R fans are, are fans of it. But again, I, I can't be a fan of fun. I have to be serious role play, and fun is terrible, because that's, that's what I'm known for. And, and there's this thing that I have affectionately called, and affectionately is clearly using the wrong term, the infamous Chapter 13. And, and that's how I see it to me. But the rest of Rokugan seems really a fan of this, and this is L5R 2K. All right. Now, now explain explain to those who, who who don't know who are listening to this. What what is L five R two K? Well, when before my friend Rich Rich Wolf before he became the lead writer on the game, uh, he was a huge fan and wrote fan fiction and and mostly uh, you know like comedic fan fictions about the characters and stuff like that. It was hilarious, and uh, it was it was also an. Uh, no, like that was a, but he, he, as an outgrowth of that, 
he and his friends decided to do uh, like a distant future they wrote in the year because uh, the clan war took place in the year like 1128 and i think in the timeline official timeline we've just now hit the year 1200 so this is 800 years beyond anything we've ever done and uh, they wrote basically like a modern Rokugan, like with current day amenities and, you know, network TV and, and uh, the Utaku road motorcycles and everything like that. And what had happened, you know, uh, after the third day of thunder and all this, that and the other. And it was, uh, you know, it was it was I've read some of it and I really enjoy it. But there was just so much of it. It was kind of daunting and I've never made my way through the whole thing. But we get requests for that. Fairly regularly, you'd be surprised that uh, people are still very much into that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I asked Rich one time if he wanted to uh, wanted to put it in uh, into one of the books, but at the time he didn't want to do it. So we we never have uh, we never have pulled it off. But uh, but yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was kind of a big deal. They made their own cards uh, with their own art and and everything, and they had like little they had a little tournament of their own or, or more than one tournament where people could. Uh, make choices about uh, what the characters are doing and things like that. It was, I think, without question, the most ambitious fan project that L5R has ever seen, unless you count Heroes of Rokugan. And, and you know, that was many years ago, and it just, you know, it's one of the reasons that I, I revere Rich so much is just he's, he's brilliant and is able to do things like that and just turn it into this huge thing. Uh, you know, I, I just uh, I'm I stand in awe of him regularly. Just his his creative drive is so uh, amazing. Well, I, and it, it's one of those things I have to I have to appreciate from a distance because when I get close, I want to spit on it because it's not the Rokugan <laughs> that I know. And but no, I mean you're, you're absolutely right when you, you said I would be surprised. I legitimately was surprised because I think we got four separate questions between our, our different markets of people asking, "Well, w- what about Rokugan 2000? Are, are they going to do any more support for it?" So that that was actually the question. Do you know? Uh, I, I mean, it kind of sounds like you said no, but is there any thought on any further sort of official support for for Rokugan 2K? Um, I don't think so. I, I, you know, anything L5R is, uh, you know, AEG could publish, but I think that everyone at the company has too much respect for Rich and and the amazing work he did as the lead writer to to take something that he did and and work with it. You know, if it ever were to happen, it would have to be uh, because he wanted to do it. And at the moment, or, or in, for the foreseeable future, I don't think he wants to do it. You know, if he ever got the wild hair to do it, then I, I think, yes, it absolutely could happen. Uh, I think that there have been enough people ask about it over the years that the company recognizes that it would be popular. But uh, again, uh, without his involvement, uh, you know, it, it feels like it would be disrespectful. So uh, I don't think that it will happen anytime in the near future, but I guess, you know, you never know. I, I I love that answer because again I, I don't have to be heartbroken about it because I, again I it, it's not my cup of tea. Uh, but I, I love the answer. No, it's not going to happen. But keep up hope. Come on, people, keep up hope. It might. It might happen. I love it. Uh, so of course we got another question. This is from Jerome from the G Plus community. What uh, have you considered or, or or has the design team considered to do to make the game more accessible to new players, sort of specifically to the, the role-playing game, because it has so much lore to it uh, th- there are a lot of people that kind of get a little scared off from it of, you're telling me I need to read a 400-page rulebook to understand this, and not like D- D&D where I get to skip to the parts I want, but there's like actual tons and tons of lore that I have to learn. Uh, is there anything that you all ha- have considered specifically other than, uh, again, I-, I will say, and it was probably your go-to answer, so I'm going to go ahead and steal it from you, the way that 4th edition is laid out to me is is so good and, and inducive for-, for learning and getting your 
your head in the game, but has there ever been any thought about a you know simple supplement or something that goes, here is the high points of the story of Rokugan? What have you all considered and what have you all done? Uh, well, what we've done is um, there was our uh, second city box set from a couple of years ago, which had, you know, uh, basically enough information for a complete campaign in it, uh, along with pre-generated characters, if a GM was inclined to use something like that. And I'm going to actually cut you off for one second, sure. Sean, because legitimately I want to say you mentioned that Second City box set. That is my favorite tabletop purchase I have ever made. I legitimately went into it going, okay, I'm going to buy it because it's L5R 4th edition. And when I opened up and it's just stuff after stuff after stuff after stuff, that is literally the single best purchase I have ever made in tabletop that I was the most satisfied with. So I, I did not mean to cut you off, but I love that Second City box oh. set. So so much. How how dare you cut me off to be so complimentary? <laughs> I swear. Um, but no, yeah, well, I I was enormously proud of that. I mean, after the core book, um, that is probably my uh, the, the achievement I'm most pleased with from my time on the RPG. Um, it's just you know there's there's a lot of stuff in there, and I feel like you know the the primer on it is not ideal. You know the, how to the the tweaks about how to play the system. It's not perfect. I feel like there's enough in it to take it and play a simple game, uh, and then that would make you want to delve into the core book and get a little bit more of an idea. But ideally, you know, you'd need the core book and that. Um, I don't know. It's hard. I, I, we've considered the idea of the beginner box, you know, uh, Pathfinder, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, all the big systems, uh, Shadow Run. They all have these beginner boxes where people can kind of uh, get the first glimpse and access it and, and delve into it a little bit. But uh, you know, it, you never know. It, that's kind of a gamble in terms of market. You know, the the RPG uh, market is is pretty pretty as a, a niche market, and and then you go feudal Japanese feudal Oriental uh, um, uh, RPG is like a niche inside a niche. You know, uh, so you never know what kind of of market penetration you're going to reach, and you never know like how many of them do we print. So it, it's something like that is a gamble. Um, we've done free RPG stuff. Uh, on free for free RPG day and, and before, um, and we've tried to uh, you know make some resources available online. Um, if they ever uh, launch a fifth edition, then I would you know I I feel like the people that are in charge of it now, Rob Hobart, Dave Lepore, and everybody, I, I feel like they are very savvy uh, guys and that they will have a plan in place for something like that. I just but again, uh, you know I'm kind of out of the loop on the RPG right now, so I don't know what it would be, but uh, you know. Rob Hobart is very much is uh, uh, you know, the kind of guy who, who thinks about he's a he's a game store owner as well as a game designer so he's you know accessibility is something that's always on the forefront of his mind in my opinion whenever I've talked to him about stuff like that so um, I don't know what the plans are in the future but I'm absolutely certain there is one. Okay, well, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, one of the other questions that we had from from the Facebook group, uh, you know, talking about your your pastime, uh, you know, very actively involved. What was your favorite uh, personal favorite personality to write about, and where did you draw your inspiration from for the character? My favorite personality to write about. I really liked Toturi Cesaru. Um, I always thought he was just a really fascinating character. Uh, but probably, if I just had to pick one, I would go with uh, probably Moto Chagatai, the Khan. Uh, he was just such a, a ruthless, magnificent beast of a character. I, uh, I really loved every story that I worked on with him. I just I loved writing him. He, he almost 
you know, he did it himself. I didn't know what was going to happen when I started writing, and the character just kind of, like every now and then, a character will take a, take the story in a direction you don't expect it to go. It just seems to happen that way. Uh, and he was the one that with that, that happened the most often with, and I just I really uh, enjoyed writing him, and I just, he was just a massive jerk. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like he had really good, in, you know, he, he had good reasons for everything he did, but he was a, just a huge jerk about it, and that made him just wildly entertaining to watch, to write, I thought. Uh, he he's actually one of the because uh, again I I am a card player and have him from a whole bunch of different series. Is uh, he he's one of my clan champion cards that I have it in my special little front page binder. Um, and, and he was actually a placeholder for it in our RPGs of of our Moto character. Obviously that wasn't his name, but uh, he liked the, the the artwork the player picked it out from the beginning. I was like that's that's okay. Uh, we we can keep that on the table. I like him. <laughs> But but now we're going to go to one of the uh, our, our last question, and actually I say question uh, question singular, but in fact it is from a, a bunch of different people asked about a certain notable personality that is really big in the fiction right now, and that is Daigotsu Kempeki. And and the question I'm going to read, he goes, ask him about Kempeki. Sometimes he's a confident, strong leader. Sometimes he's a little crybaby who can only point to his rich and strong father. Uh, and and that was R- Richard from Facebook who asked that specifically, but multiple people did. Uh, what do you think about Kempeki? Have you actually done any of the writing for about him? I've done some of it, yes. Uh, probably some of both of the ones that uh, Richard mentions. I <laughs> find Kempeki uh, a very complex character. Uh, you know, he, I mean... I mean, talk about living in the shadow of your father. I mean, honestly, his dad did so much stuff and then he became a god, right? So, I mean, how, you know, I think part of the time when he's really, when he's coming across as just a, a, a you know, an engine of destruction is when he's trying his hardest to escape from his father's shadow and be his own man. And then there's times when he recognizes that the tasks set before him are such that, uh, it's virtually impossible for him to achieve the goals that he has that his father passed down to him. And there's times that he falls back on his dad for guidance and for support uh, and because he just doesn't see any other way to move forward. And I, I, I think, you know, to, in my mind, when I think about Ken Pecky, he's, he's just he's a man of extremes, you know, uh, who wants to forge ahead and do it and show his father, you know, what kind of man he can be. And then there's times when he, you know, he has no choice but to turn to his father because basically, almost literally, the entire world is against him, right? So I mean, he's he's got a uh, he's got a lot of um, decks stacked against him, and sometimes playing the dad trump is is pretty much the only way he can uh, hope to survive to fight another day, so to speak. Okay, well, well, good deal. And I've got to say, you know, of course, I, I mentioned it earlier. I mean, I, I still hold what what while Kempeki is really interesting to me. The the original Lord Daigotsu to me is the most interesting, in depth, fascinating character in Rokugan, which is a a stack a mountain of fascinating, interesting characters. But I am I am such a Daigotsu fanboy. I mean, it's unbelievable how much I I, I think he's an interesting <laughs> character. Well, I'm. I'm doing well, well, then I, I've got to ask from a personal level. Did, did you do a lot of the writing of of Daigotsu as well, as far as his uh, his, his misventures? Yeah. Well, if I remember correctly, and I might, I may not, because this we're you know we're talking about a 2001. I think Daigotsu existed in art when we inherited the game back from Wizards of the Coast, who owned it briefly before AEG got it back, and and Rich took over as the lead writer, and then. Uh, about six months after he started, and they brought me in to help him out. 
And I believe that the, that we may have seen Daigotsu. There were some villains like the Onisu uh, who were in art from the, the Watsi days. But uh, Rich is the one who created his story and who created his background. And to me, you know, there's just there were certain characters there, even even when we were working together that were riches and that I, I felt like, you know, it would be a, a, an injustice for me to write. And there were certain characters that were mine and we would trade back and forth. And, you know, I would write his guys and he would write mine. But, I, you know, to uh, Daigotsu and, and uh, Naseru were, were two characters, the guy who became emperor, they were two characters that I always felt uh, were never better than when Rich was writing them. Um, and, of course, with a ki- person as important as Daigotsu, I ended up, after Rich left, I had to write a lot of Daigotsu stories. Um, you know, I never felt like I was as good as it. I just tried to, uh, be, live up to the, the kind of, of nuanced character that, that Rich had created, uh, and make sure that I was trying to, uh, respect all of the work that had gone before. Uh, but I, I've written a fair amount of it. I, I, I can't remember where we were. I think Rich left sometime in Lotus edition. So there was, you know, some before, some after, but, uh, but yeah, I've, I've written my fair share of the tall skinny guy in the mask. <laughs> and, and my my one last question on, on that when 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 Daigotsu met his well as final death as you can get in Rokugan and then he ascended to god status I I have read online uh mostly through the wiki which is is well populated by by the community but not always consistently so I have heard different death stories of Daigotsu with his final confrontation with with Empress Awiko did he commit seppuku or was he struck down he at the end of the destroyer war he committed he entered into a bargain with the empress where she would allow his followers to survive and would accept them as citizens of Rokugan and would take her his son and train uh into her house and allow him to be the head of the spider clan and as a legitimate clan and uh, Daigotsu wanted to know what the price for it was and the price was his life so she uh, she demanded his seppuku, which he performed with uh, her sword. You know, didn't turn out quite the way anybody expected, but but that was uh, he eventually when he died, his mortal death. It was by his own hand at the empress's order. And, and to me, there there is no no better perfect scene than I mean, ultimately him achieving his victory through an honorable samurai death, and I get I, I got goosebumps right now just just thinking about it. So I I love it, and I have closure to my Daigotsu story. Well, that is going to wrap up our our last L5R questions, but we have one last surprise for you, Sean, and that is uh, Michael, the guy who like runs this RPG Academy. Uh, he's came back in and he wants to kick me out of his chair because apparently there's a special little game that they play every time they do an interview, and now he's about to kick me off because uh, you, you all are going to play a brief game together. All right. Again, I just wanted to thank you again for uh, giving us your time tonight. Uh, I really appreciate that. I know Jim is obsessed, I would say, with uh, L5R, and I think it's a credit to the world that you created and helped create. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. But the game that we're going to play, uh, hopefully you'll play along, it'll be very short, I promise, is uh, when we do these interview shows, at the end of every episode, we would always ask our guests for um, some advice, you know, what what kind of advice would you give to a new player? And and it was always good advice, but it started to become very repetitive. People kind of kept saying sort of the same thing. So what we we started doing now is with each of our guests, we play a little choose your own adventure game. And so 
Uh, you're going to take over the part or the, the, the role of our hero for just a brief moment in time. And you're going to be given a couple options, and you're going to choose what happens. And then uh, the next guest will uh, will continue the story forward. Uh, so what you need to know so far is that you are a wizard. All right. You are off uh, seek, uh, searching through some caves. Uh, you don't know exactly for what purpose, but you were told uh, to go here by your master. Uh, you were given the option of choosing four things to take into the caves with you. Uh, one was a lantern that shed red light. Uh, another was a scroll in a language you didn't read. One was a dagger. And uh, one was an onyx pebble. And that is the one that you took. I took the pebble, you said? Yes, you have the pebble. And then uh, you started wa winding through the tunnels. And after a while, you heard some goblin voices coming toward you. So the last thing that you did was try to hide. I'm now going to decide if you actually hit or not. Well, we will find out together. Yes, you were successful in hiding. So you creep into a corner in this sort of winding cave network, and you do see two goblins, green-skinned humanoids, short and dirty and nasty, and they're chatting back and forth very um, eagerly towards each other. And unless you do something, they're going to walk past you. So what would you like to do? Do you want to attack them, let them go by, follow them, or go on the way that they were going before you came upon them? How many of them are there, did you say? There are two goblins. Two goblins. I'm going to let them go by and see where they're going. Okay, so you're going to then follow them further into the cave network? Absolutely. Excellent. And that's all I need from you. And then we will continue the story with our Groovy. next guest. So, so everyone has to hopefully listen all the way to the end to see how the story goes. So uh, once again, Sean, for me, and I know from Jim, <laughs> appreciate your time. Uh, I cannot wait to meet you in person at a catacon and play some games together. And then Jim mentioned that you are going to be at Gen Con, as are both of us. Uh, so maybe if it'll work out, we'll have a chance to meet there. We are doing a little, like a podcast get-together on Wednesday night, if you're going to be there and you're open to it. We can send you a message with the details if you want to swing by and game. If not, won't hurt our feelings. Well, mine not. It might, might hurt Jim's feelings, but I'll, I'll be okay. a little. <laughs> me. I don't, I'm traveling up on Wednesday. I don't know what time I'll get there, but yeah, uh, ping me about it. And I'll say if I'm in town, I'll drop by. Excellent, sir. Thank you so much, and you have a great night. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. 
We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>